flowers. We always sing it uh, during communion time. And uh, although, having said that, we didn't sing it this morning, did we? But we're looking at it tonight. Uh, It's one that we sing on a regular basis because it being one of those psalms of ascent, we always sing it during communion. And so it's kind of neat that um, our, our look at Psalm 122 dovetails with our communion service this morning. But uh, it, it's a favorite because it speaks of zoning to Jerusalem. And it was traditionally sung at Passover. And we saw that Passover is fulfilled in the New Testament in the Lord's Supper. And so it, it's a, a song, as you see there, a song in a sense, a song of going up, a song of going up to Jerusalem from the various parts of, of the known world at that time. Early on, it was various parts of Israel. But after uh, the dispersion where people were scattered all over North Africa and up into Asia Minor, the, the people would come from a, a farther radius to the house of God. So on the day of Pentecost, for example, there were tens of thousands of people. Just that the, the Passover, the city of Jerusalem would swell uh, sometimes two or three times uh, its normal numbers. Just like PEI in the summer will swell sometimes three times the, the uh, normal amount. And so the the uh, the, uh, the city was uh, full of people. And as people came, it would have been an amazing sight to see with them. If you could picture it in your mind, as they came for Passover, uh, people would have been coming in caravans, people coming walking, people journeying on the way to Jerusalem. So you would have had tens of thousands of people walking into the city. You can imagine getting ready for that event, getting ready for the Passover, shopkeepers, just as people here on the island get ready when the tourist season starts, getting their cottages ready, getting the shops ready, getting all sorts of things ready to welcome this mass of people that are coming. So it would have been quite an amazing thing. But not only that, they would have been singing the songs as they went. It was a time here on PEI when People would come to this very church and other churches on the island, and as they went, they would sing the songs as they were going to church. And can you imagine that? People coming down the road, it wouldn't have been paved like this, but it would have been a dusty road, and people singing as they came in. And because there was an anticipation. And what what is spoken of in this psalm was very much the experience of those who gathered in this building not that not that long ago, uh, maybe a couple of generations ago, as they came, it was an event. Uh, I, I was uh, I can't remember who I was sending the uh, information to, but it was a, it was a book from a, a book that my cousin had recently written, and uh, she was giving an account by a, a minister who was visiting here back in, uh, after Donald McDonald had died. And uh, it was recorded as he was preaching in this very pulpit, uh, uh, something like 1,500 people in this sanctuary and upstairs, and another 500 he estimated outside. Can you imagine? 
And so you can you can imagine the anticipation of coming to such an event. Uh, and that happened in this building. And uh, so we're not talking thousands of years ago. We're talking several generations ago uh, only. So we're not talking about something that was only true of an ancient generation, but something that uh, was true uh, within the age of perhaps our great-grandparents. Uh, so not that far off. And so it celebrates the city of Jerusalem and all that it means. It's more than, uh, as I said before, bricks and mortar, just as this church is more than uh, uh, wood and stone and so on. And so we see here why the psalmist is glad, why he's excited to go. He's not like those who go to a big city like New York. I remember going to New York my first time in, in 1990, and you could tell who the tourists were by these. They, they were the ones walking around like this, and they were amazed at the buildings. May, and I, I was very much of that kind of person, and I could have been easily pickpocketed, I'm sure, by gazing up at these huge buildings. You just crank, crank your neck back, look straight up at these buildings. And for a lot of people, that was the excitement of going to Jerusalem. Uh, we're going to look at it in a couple of weeks in the morning, but the, uh, the disciples were kind of saying the same thing when uh, they were coming into the city of Jerusalem. Look at what they say to Jesus. Jesus left the temple and was going away, and when his disciples came uh, to point out to him the buildings of the temple, he answered them, uh, You see these, do you not? Truly I say there will be not one left upon one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And in Mark's gospel, they say, Lord, look at these buildings. Aren't you impressed by them? And Jesus draws their attention to the destruction of the buildings because they ultimately forgot what the city meant, what it was there for. And that's the challenge that we face as we look at this psalm and as we look around this building tonight. We have to ask, what is it there for? What is the essence of that of, of, of what we're doing here? And when, when the Israelites forgot that, whether it was in uh, 586 when Nebuchadnezzar came in, or in 70 AD when the Romans rolled in. It was because they had forgotten what the city was all about. It wasn't about power, it wasn't about architecture, it wasn't about any of these things. It was about the worship of God which had been corrupted. But the psalmist is coming here with joy. He it says, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. And so with the journey of Psalm 121 complete, I looked to the hills, and uh, I, I had double-checked uh, the reference, and I sent the picture to some of you, uh, uh, the University of Calgary, uh, has on their archway, and I think it's pointing out toward the mountains, the Gallic rendering of Psalm 121, I to the hills will lift my eyes. And so it wasn't, in fact, I've got it on my phone if you want to see it later on, 
have that Gallic rendering. But having made that journey, looking to the hills, perhaps the hills of Jerusalem that surround the city, uh, they are now within the city. Our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. I find myself like that if I go into a city of the world. I, certainly it was that way in New York City. When I went to bed that first night in, in, the, in the, the Grand Hyatt Hotel, it was owned by Donald Trump, but I remember going to sleep that night thinking, I'm in New York City. I'm going to sleep in New York City. Or I remember moving to Scotland, and I think, I am now sleeping in Scotland, which I have heard about all my life, and now here I am. I'm going to bed here. And this is what I was thinking. So it was this anticipation that they now realize our feet have been standing in your gates, O Jerusalem. They can't believe where they are. It's an amazing place for more reasons than simply uh, uh, the architecture. This city was a historical city. It was an ancient city. It went way back before David. It went back hundreds of years uh, before David's time. And uh, uh, for Israel, this was the place where the temple was, where the throne of David was, where the, the, the monarchy was. Uh, uh, again, you have that sense if you're going into London, you see Buckingham Palace, you see all the, the you know, the, the, where the monarchy is, you see Westminster, you see all of these iconic buildings that symbolize so much around the world. And where so much history was lived out, not only there in London, but the implications that the decisions taken in that place had for the whole world, had for the colonies over here, and so on. And so uh, this is what they were understanding. And they were the, the true Israelite was seeing that it was the God of that place. What the Lord has brought, what God has done in this place, what God has blessed his people with, that's, that's what it is to look with, with eyes that see what reality is, looking beyond the bricks and mortar to say, the Lord is doing something in this place, in Jerusalem. The gospel is being demonstrated and shown in a way uh, that we don't see back in our own little village. The priests, the animals, the sacrifices. God saying, I am reconciled unto you. Here is the gospel. Something else, someone else is dying in your place. And you can travel back home knowing that for another year, God has forgiven your sins. And that you can be joyful in the fact that you are the people of God. And that this nation is destined for wonderful things by God's grace. And that you're a part of that. You're, you're people that are a part of that. You see, this is what the temple foreshadowed. Solomon's temple with all that, with the all the furniture and all the glory and the gold and so on. It foreshadowed the true temple of God, the Lord Jesus. In Solomon's temple, you remember the story of when it was built. What happened? The glory of God came and filled that building so powerfully, the priests couldn't minister anymore. They had to get out of the building because the presence of God came so, so powerfully. In the first chapter of John, we read that 
the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. It literally says He tabernacled among us. And we beheld His glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. What are we seeing in those words? Again, picture in your mind the temple of Solomon and the glory of God coming down the hill. Now picture Jesus, the true temple of God, and what's inside of that body but God himself. And it's full of the glory of God. And that glory consists in grace and truth. Now if you're a weary pilgrim, and your hope is to go there, to find forgiveness. That's where the real joy lies. To go on that journey and to, to see with your own eyes that through the shedding of blood there is remission of sin. That God makes promises through the sacrifice that if we, by faith, latch on to that sacrifice and believe what is happening there, our sins can be forgiven. And God's mercy is extended to us. And you can't put a price on that. That's what gives these pillars of the temple their value. Not the fact that they're even gold, but they represent the pillars of God's grace, the pillars of God's truth, the pillars of God's love. The walls and the fortifications represent the the, 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 the protection that God gives his people. That's what the true Israelite was looking for. And this joy that they felt, well, how much more should that be a part of the church of Jesus Christ? John Piper said it well. He said, if such worship was fitting in the Old Testament, how much more is it fitting in the New Testament? When we have such a fuller revelation of the glory of God, in Christ. And in Piper's book, it's called Expository Exaltation. In other words, the place of preaching and worship, he's making the case for weekly worship in, in not being on a Zoom call somewhere or having a, 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 a private Christian life, but a community. He says, if God commanded in the Old Testament for the people of God to come on a regular basis, whether to the temple or to the synagogue, Piper is saying, how much more now when the fuller revelation in Christ has been given? How strange, he says, that corporate worship would be considered less fitting for the new covenant people of God who have such greater knowledge of the praiseworthiness of God in Christ. Wouldn't it be strange? People often talk about that in terms of giving. How much should I give? Well, would we give less? Then the Old Testament saying we give a tithe, a tenth of what if in the fuller revelation of Jesus Christ, what does that say about our worship of God? The degrees to which we give of ourselves, give of our time, not only our, our, our resources, but our time and our heart and so on. Ligon Duncan also says, he says, no Israelite ought to be able to give us a run for our money and gathering with the of God to worship him because we have seen the one that all the types and shadows of the Old Testament pointed to and our zeal should exceed the zeal of those Israelites under the Old Covenant. 
You see what he's saying? No Israelite ought to be able to give us a run for our money in gathering with the people of God to worship. Remember Alistair Begley, he was here a number of years ago at Grace Baptist Church, and he was talking about the experience that he was familiar with in Cleveland. He says, how many churches are going dark at night? The Lord's Day night. The Sabbath night. How many churches are dark across Prince Edward Island today? The lights are not on. The furnace is not running. These are diagnostic questions. These are things that we need to think about. The, the New Testament church needs to check its heart. We should not be outdone by the joy and the hunger of the Old Testament people in wanting to come. Their zeal should not exceed our zeal. You can read through the Psalms and say, I wish, I wish my heart were like that. I wish my desires were like that. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to that. So that's the first thing we see. Let us go to the house of the Lord. See the anticipation. We see, we see what that means for us as the new covenant people of God. That we have a far greater reason to join in worship, whether in the morning or the evening. To set apart the whole Lord's day uh, for worship. Not just a part, not just trying. This, this is what many people do today. Just trying to eke out that little bit. That in certain uh, uh, professions, that is a very difficult thing. In the professions of medicine or policing or in many other areas of life where that becomes a necessity. There's many other parts of people's lives where it's just simply filled with all sorts of other activities. Their hearts are in other places rather than in the house. How many people will love coming to a morning service? Love what's said, love what just goes on. You might suggest to them, well, we're going to be worshiping tonight. Why don't you come back? Oh, well, I'd rather jump off a bridge than do something like that. And th this is the kind of mentality. The Old Testament church ought not to outzeal us in these things. Let us go to the house of the Lord. Let us understand that house of the Lord. Jerusalem, verse 3, built as a city that is bound firmly together, to which the tribes belong, the tribes of the Lord, as was decreed for Israel, to give thanks to the name of the Lord. Their thrones for judgment were set, thrones of the house of David. So where does this joy come from? Well, the answer is given in these verses. city is compactly built together. There was a, a certain uh, 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 image that was created in the mind of the traveler as they went. The city is compactly built together. Uh, they, they think of her walls there in verse, uh, in verse 7. The towers in verse 7 as well. 
as he, as he surveyed that and surveyed the hills around Jerusalem. They, they saw beyond the organization of God, the organization of God's people, to which the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord. Many interpret the Psalms' emphasis on unity among the tribes of Israel as a, a call for unity within the universal church. And that's exactly what we find when we go to the New Testament. We read that in Ephesians chapter 4. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, and through all, and in all. The unity of Christ's church. And this is, in fact, what Jesus prayed for the night before he died. I and them, you and me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me, and have loved them even as you have loved me. The tribes go up. The tribes of the Lord are going there. But they're, they are there as one nation, as one people. And that's a wonderful thing to see when people from different denominations can come together under the banner of the gospel. They understand what the church is all about. The church is there to proclaim the eternal gospel of the Lord Jesus. And I love getting together with other brothers and sisters from other churches, other denominations who, though we may do things differently, we share a common interest in the gospel. That there is a unity. A unity that is only found uh, in Jesus Christ. John Calvin says the church can only remain in a state of safety when unanimity prevails in her and when she cultivates a holy unity. As was decreed for Israel, the tribes go up. As was decreed for Israel, they, they were, it was decreed by God that they go to perform this act of worship and this act of thanksgiving. That's who we are, you see. Before we're husbands and wives, before we're what we call ourselves in our profession, a doctor or a farmer or this or that, that's not who we are. I am a child of God through faith in Jesus Christ. That's who I am. Jesus says, seek first, what? Your job? Your relationship? Seek first the kingdom of God, and these things will be added unto you. This is what is decreed for the tribes of Israel. To give thanks to the name of the Lord. Paul says in Colossians that God has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. That we may praise him. We might glorify him. That's who we are, friends. And if we find our identity in other things, we're going to be sorely disappointed. But when I start with who I am in God, I know that that will never change. I know that God does not change. He is not moved. And therefore, my identity and my foundation is not moved. But if I put it in my job, I'm going to have my job tomorrow. 
We're seeing right now across North America how people, because of this vaccine, you agree or not, but many people are losing their jobs. Thousands of health workers and thousands of, of workers in, in, in police and so on. People are in sports and whatever. They, they are refusing to take the vaccine. And uh, they're, they're, uh, we're, we're hearing of tens of thousands of people maybe being laid off at, at a time when, when we need people in the healthcare industry. But it simply, I'm simply saying that to show the uncertainty of when we put our identity in things that are so temporary. But the psalmist is going, he says, he's going up to the house of God because he says, here is a place that's compactly built together. It's a place that has foundations. It's a place that speaks of God's eternal purposes. It's a place that speaks of who I am that will not change because God does not change and I am his child. This is who I am. And as Christians, we ought to recognize that even more. We who are indwelt by the Spirit of God. We don't have that relationship with anything else in this world, not even our families, not even our children, not, not our bosses, not our careers. We are indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God. That's who we are. And the church, the kingdom of God becomes the ultimate thing for us. And what we do here, and what we did this morning in the, in the Lord's Supper, becomes so important. So many people have a very uh, 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 loose attachment to the things of the church, but we ought not. We ought to be firming up our commitment to the church as the years go on. Martin Luther said that our, our Jerusalem is the church and our temple is Christ. Wherever Christ is preached and the sacraments are rightly administered, there we are sure God dwells. And there is our temple and our tabernacle, our cherubim and our mercy seat. There God is present with us by his word. That's how Luther uh, seeks to get us to understand the significance of this psalm. It's the church. We are the tribes. We are, as Paul says in Galatians, by faith in Jesus Christ, you are children of Abraham. He says that not to the Jews, but to the Galatians, Gentile people. And our worship is spiritual worship. It's not worship in bricks and mortar and animals and blood, but it's in the spirit, the worship of our souls as we come through that door. And we present the sacrifices of thanksgiving. We come in and say, I've had this kind of week, I've had a terrible week, I've had a bad conscience of this. I said that and I shouldn't have done it. Well, I, I come and I feel terrible. And I promised the Lord I wouldn't do X and I did it. But I come in the house of God. I hear the gospel. I hear the, the wideness of Christ's mercy. I hear of the all-sufficient grace of God. And my, my, my evil conscience is cleansed by the blood of Christ. And you say, as the psalmist, I glory with the house of God. Go up, they said to me. We're reminded yet again, as we serve God, as we give thanks to God, as is decreed 
for us. It's a decree. It's not an option. If we are God's people, if we have been sanctified, we're not sanctified just beginning to heaven, but he has set us apart for his own purposes. That you might now go out and serve God where you are, in your workplace, in your homes. That you might be priests and kings unto God in this world. That, friends, gives us a sense of that is really where your identity comes from. So if you wake up in the morning and you don't have that job, you're not in that relationship, all these things, you're, you're in a completely different part of the world, New York City or Scotland or wherever you go, and you wake up and you say, but I'm still his. And I can be used wherever I am. Because that's God's decree. And I can give glory to God in every situation. And God's, God's wisdom and his love can be manifest out from me into the lives of other people. Friends, that's an identity that you build our lives around. You build your life around other people. And it's a very slippery slope. It's a very dangerous ground. I love there's a line by Fleetwood Mac in one of their songs called uh, uh, Landslide. And it goes, I've been afraid of changes because I built my life around you. Talking about her, her, her boyfriend or her husband, whoever it is. I'm afraid of change because I build my life around. You build your life around people. No, he's not celebrating building his life around people. His joy comes from the fact that he builds his life around the Lord. To which the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord is to greet for Israel to give thanks in the name of the Lord. There, for thrones of judgment were set, the thrones of the house of David. Thrones of judgment. There, there was, a, as it were, the Supreme Court in Jerusalem. It was a place where justice was meted out, where if there was injustice in the land, they could bring their case to Jerusalem. This, again, is seen in the wonderful work of Jesus Christ, begun in Bethlehem. When the angel said, he will be great, he will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord will give to him the throne of his father David. It continues after the resurrection, it says, being therefore a prophet, knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him, that he would set one of his descendants on his throne. Jesus says, in the second coming, it will be consummated, when the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him. Then he will sit on his glorious throne. We can be, as I've said different times, very discouraged about the injustices we see in the world. We say, this is not fair, and that's not fair. What happened to this young person was not fair. What happened to that person losing his job? This person was lying about him. This person had lies told about him. Their name was destroyed and ruined. Where is the justice? We, as the people of God, serve a God who believes in justice. He meets out justice. And the greatest place where that was done was on the cross of Jesus Christ, 
where your sins and my sins met the justice of God in the body of his own son. Friends, isn't that an amazing thing? You say, does God care about justice? So we hear a lot about that today. Social justice warriors or being taken a justice stand for justice and we Christians should be people who are interested in justice in the world. But we are definitely not to throw up our hands and say justice is not being done and it won't be done. Friends, all we need to do is look to the cross and say, that's how interested God is in justice. And he brought justice to your sins. That's where your wrongdoings were condemned. In the body of your Savior. That was the throne of justice that was set up. And when we come, we behold that throne, the throne of judgment. We say, I can wait. I know now that as I survey the world, as I survey world history, I see all the murder and all the stealing and all the abuse and all the wrongs that have been done, and my heart breaks. When you look at the people who have been, the vulnerable people, children, the aged, the unborn, and you see them, their lives being destroyed by the tens of millions across the world at the year. You say, how long, oh God, how long? And we come to Christ, and we say the thrones of justice have been laid down through Jesus' death on the cross. And that's the promise to us, that he will complete what he finishes. When the Son of Man comes in glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. And what will he do? He will make all wrongs right. And you tonight, if you're a believer, can give thanks that your sins will not meet the justice of God on that day. What an awful thing that would be. For many And so he says, finally, let us pray for the peace of Jerusalem. If this is the case, because of all that Jerusalem means, he says, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they be secure who love you. Peace be within your walls and security within your towers. For my brothers and companions' sake, I will say, peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord, our God, I will seek your good. So here is a journey. When he comes and he says, he sees the city, but he sees it for what it really is. He sees what it means for the world. As it, as that the mission of Jerusalem was to extend beyond the borders of Israel, he says, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And Israel had known their difficult times, times of opposition from outside different kings and inside in terms of internal corruption. And that cry for security and justice and peace was uh, uh, spoken of here. 
Jerusalem means city of peace. Very, very uh, ironic, isn't it? Pray for the peace of the city of peace. Shalom. Jerusalem. That's, that's what it means. And yet it's the most destroyed city on the face of the earth. If you want to get down to the original Jerusalem, you've got to, get, you've got to dig down layer upon layer upon layer to get down because it's been a, a, a most destroyed city. And again, it's only because of the coming of the Prince of Peace that the Lord Jesus Christ that this was fully realized. He is our peace. And through him, we seek the wider peace of the church. The devil loves nothing more than to disrupt the internal peace of the church. People at one another over small, petty things, divide, backbiting, disorganizing, because he knows that when our time and attention is taken up with strife and arguing and bickering, that he can distract from the real work of the gospel. Just as it is in anything, in politics or in business. If a government or if a business is occupied with <coughs> putting out fires or trying to fix things, they're not getting on with the business of business. And so it is with the church. The psalmist sees what the, what the city is meant to be. A place of man being reconciled unto God, the dwelling place of the Lord. It's a place where the gospel was going to be nations. He doesn't want that compromise. And so he says, let us pray that peace and safety dwell within her walls. As Paul says in Ephesians 4, we should keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. That is not easy. We've been studying in Philippians about Euodia and Sotaike and other people who are disagreeing about certain things in the church. And what does Paul do? In Philippians chapter 2, we, we sang it uh, here in, in, in our song. Adapt the attitude of Christ, who though in nature God did not insist upon his rights as equal with the Lord. He made himself of no account. He took a, a servant's form, a human likeness, Jesus Christ, into the worldly form. He showed himself in human form. He took the lowest place, obedient to the death, point of death, the cross and its disgrace. God therefore raised him to the heights, gave him the highest name, seating every name and work that all might him acclaim. So Jesus, through his death, brings peace between you and God. But now, through his example, he wants to see that peace demonstrated between all of us in the church. And that ought to be our prayer tonight. That's the passion with which the psalmist ends. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they be secure who love you. Those who work for your prosperity. Peace be within your walls and security within your towers. For my brothers and companions say, personalizes it, doesn't he? I will say, peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good.
may it be our passion and journey. When you pray, a portion of your prayers is given over to the peace of the church, the prosperity of the church, the glory of the church, what the church can be. Have we tasted of that? If we have ourselves derived the benefits of the gospel from within the church, do we have a desire to see others come to the church? Do we have a desire to see family members and neighbors and people say, Lord, that church in Disable or that church in Cape Cabot or that church in Charlottetown or wherever it is, it's been a blessing to my soul or it's, been, it's a place where I found what my true identity is, my true purpose in life. Lord, I love the very dust of that place because of what it means to me. Lord, will you not bring souls to salvation in those places? That was, that was what happened in this building generations ago. Filled to capacity. Hundreds of people out on the lawn surrounding this very building because there was a hunger. People were saying, I was glad when they said to me, let us go. And they came without tears. Because the gospel was being preached and proclaimed. May God visit us again with such days of blessing. But may he begin tonight with us in our prayers, in our priorities to say, Lord, bless and prosper the place where the gospel is going out. Not only here in this building, but across PEI, across Canada, and around the world. Let's pray.